Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where we are looking at the Disney remake of Under Wraps from 2021. As someone who found the original fairly charming, I guess probably because it's from the 90s, and even if I haven't seen a film from the 90s, I still feel like I have a weird amount of nostalgia for it. I guess it's just because I was born then, you know? Uh, Not really that surprising. I will admit there was a part of me that was interested in this film, but also a little bit sceptical of how much I'm going to enjoy it. So I guess, you know, we'll watch and find out. In terms of the format, it shall be the same as usual. We shall start with a look at the background information, then a section on the historical accuracy, and finally, I shall review the film. But before that, it is time for my dramatic intro. Right, you are suspicious of your creepy and mysterious neighbour, and are convinced he is hiding an ancient Egyptian mummy. You and two friends sneak into his house and soon find yourself exploring his basement. Suddenly, your eyes fall on an ancient coffin leaned up against the wall. Your hands trembling, you pull off the lid. The mummy instantly falls forward onto you, and spooked, you run away. However, little do you know that the mummy has landed in the moonlight coming through the window. The amulet on it begins to glow, and slowly the mummy lets out a groan. At first you are terrified as it chases you around the house. But then you realise it is not the walking monster of evil you are expecting. Instead, it is a nice mummy. Now it is your job to protect it from the man who illegally acquired it. You must keep the mummy under wraps.
As mentioned in the introduction, this is a remake of the film of the same name from 1997. And what's really cool is, just like the original, which was the first ever Disney Channel movie, Under Wraps 2021 was the first ever Disney Plus movie released in North America, and also just a large part of the world as well. It was also the first Disney Channel movie since The Invisible Sister from 2015, so we're talking six years prior to this to take place during Halloween. I will admit I find this quite surprising to be honest, um, you know, it's just one of those things you'd assume Disney would be releasing year after year, you know, always having the Halloween film, but I guess not. In terms of the cast, Malachi Barton plays Marshall, Sophia Hammonds plays Amy, and Christian J. Simon plays Gilbert. These are the kind of three main characters in the film. On top of that, we have Melanie Brooke, who plays Buzzy. She's kind of a costume shop owner and also the expert on monsters in the film. And finally, we have Phil Wright, who plays Harold, the mummy. Okay, we have now arrived at the historical accuracy section. So here I shall simply talk about what the film gets right and wrong in terms of things like history and archaeology. Early on in the film, we see a school trip to a museum, and here they are shown into a room with some sarcophagi and a coffin. First things first, this may be the first film I have reviewed on this podcast that actually differentiates between sarcophagi and coffins, and it even does so correctly. The museum guide literally specifies that a sarcophagus is a big box, usually made of stone, that is used to hold the coffin or coffins of the deceased. I am genuinely shocked. Of all of the films I have reviewed, this is the one that gets that correct. This, let's face it, probably quite cheaply made Disney Plus film. And the thing is, the accuracies don't even stop there. She then claims that the coffins are from 2000 BC and come from the 12th dynasty. The 12th dynasty did start in roughly about 2000 BC, so again, this is correct. Further, Amy in the film also specifies that the coffin in the room is anthropoid, meaning human in shape. And do you know when anthropoid coffins originate? Yeah, you guessed it, it's the 12th dynasty. Don't get me wrong, you still had box-shaped ones around this time as well, but anthropoid ones were around at this time. Basically put, it does actually seem like at least some basic research went into this scene, which is more than I can say for most of the films I review. Most just get bits incidentally correct here and there, though admittedly this scene isn't perfect by any means. For instance, the mummy inside one of the sarcophagus does look pretty ridiculous. For a start, it is wearing makeup on the outside of the bandages, which, <laughs> shockingly, is incorrect. And it is clearly wearing the makeup to make it look more feminine. The idea of makeup only being worn by women is more of a modern concept, to be honest. In ancient Egypt, it was perfectly normal for men to also wear makeup, and in fact, it even served some practical purposes. For instance, lead based eyeliner was often used as a way of deflecting the rays of the sun, protecting the eyes. I mean, it was probably doing a lot of damage as well, but hey, you know, we're talking about ancient Egypt here. They didn't know how dangerous lead was back then. 
Also, the actual museum here is abysmal when it comes to both ethics and general conservation. For a start, there is actually a lot of controversy over the idea of having humans on display in museums, especially in such an open way. Very often, bodies will be hidden behind walls or have warning signs, meaning that viewing them is more optional. After all, not only are there ethical issues with displaying the dead, but also, understandably, just not everyone wants to see that. Though, in fairness, you only need to go to the British Museum to see that this isn't always the case. I know, right? Shocking. The British Museum is not the best example of ethics. Who would have thought? Although, I will admit, it is still one of the best museums in the world. I mean, I have been there countless times now. <laughs> However, even the British Museum would not be displaying mummies in this way. You know, sort of in the very brightly lit room they have in the film. Light is actually damaging to organic material, so both the mummy and the bandages here. You may have noticed before that fabrics and mummies are usually in very dimly lit rooms in museums, often with sensors that turn on the actual lights when visitors walk through. This is because light causes chemical reactions in these materials, which significantly speeds up deterioration. Also, just in general, the mummy isn't even in a case, and in fact, at one point, we see Harold, the living mummy, kneeling down, touching it. It takes about 10 minutes, I'd say, for a security guard to come over and say, you know, stop doing that. Later on in the film, our three main characters break into the house of the sinister man named Cubert. Which, I'm sorry, if you're picking a name for a villain, why would you pick Cubert? It's such a lovely name. <laughs> Maybe that's a point. I guess it is a comedy after all. They break into his house because they find out he has illegally acquired a mummy. He has done so in order to sell it on to a private collector. Firstly, the illegal antiquities market is actually a really important issue, not just in Egyptology, but ancient history and history in general. In fact, a lot of the time, the funds raised from such activities are funding things like terrorism. So, it's fair to say that Hubert, as charming as his name is, is a genuine villain here. However, when they find the mummy in Cubert's basement, its coffin has a Nemus headrest on it. So, a Nemus headrest is the kind of striped headrest that can most famously be seen on the death mask of Tutankhamun. It is worth noting that the Nemus headrest was a sign of kingship. Harold was supposed to be a high priest, not a pharaoh, and so his coffin would not have had this. A little later in the film, they take the mummy to see Buzzy, an expert in monsters who owns the local costume shop. She looks at the back of a scarab amulet that the mummy wears around its, its neck, the one in the film that brings the mummy to life, and on the back there is an inscription written in hieroglyphs. Shockingly, the hieroglyphs are actually real and not nonsense here. They are even written in Middle Egyptian, which is the correct type for the time period, though admittedly, Middle Egyptian is easily the most common type of hieroglyphs, and it wasn't just used in the Middle Kingdom, it was also used throughout Egyptian history after that point as well. I've discussed this a little bit in other episodes, but basically it became a kind of religious text, almost in the same way that Latin is for the Catholic Church now. However, there are a few issues here. For a start, Bozzi claims that... The hieroglyphs are not in any known databases because there are about a bazillion hieroglyphs. 
All of the hieroglyphs here are quite common and would absolutely be found in databases. In fact, I had no issue finding any of them whilst I was trying to translate this. In terms of there being a bazillion hieroglyphs, obviously this is supposed to be a hyperbole. In reality, there are about 6,000 hieroglyphs, so in fairness, there are quite a lot, though it is worth noting that these 6,000 hieroglyphs were not all in use at the same time. Pharaonic Egypt lasted for about 3,000 years, and naturally, over time, some came in and fell out of use, and there were changes to the writing system in general. You know, how could there not be? Even in a very conservative society like ancient Egypt, there are going to be changes. It's inevitable. Bozzi then claims that the amulet reads thus. This amulet will raise the dead. For three days, they will live instead. But in their coffin, they must be by midnight on day three. Or entombed forever, they will be throughout all of eternity. It's amazing that the translation rhymes in English. Who'd have thought? Now, obviously, this is absolutely not what the amulet says. I have attempted to translate these hieroglyphs, and I should probably say that I am a little bit rusty with this kind of thing. Obviously, I've also had to edit it a little bit, just so that it makes sense in English, as, well, needless to say, ancient Egyptian is very different to English. But from what I can see, it reads thus. The one who protects and carries these limbs of the deceased towards a place upon the land. As the people belong to the days, he lies down in the necropolis in the sixth hour of the night. He did not fall amongst the enemies, in darkness remaining in eternity. So, I guess at least the word eternity's in this one. <laughs> but in general, the sixth hour of the night is usually where you get Ra in the afterlife, being reunited with his own bar, so kind of part of his own soul. Around this time, not only is he being carried by a group of gods, he's also being protected from many enemies, including the dreaded Serpent of Chaos, a pet. Overall, it's fair to say that this film does a better job than the 1997 original when it comes to historical accuracy. For the first time in this podcast's history, I can say that a film has correctly differentiated between a sarcophagus and a coffin. It also correctly states that the 12th dynasty was 4,000 years ago, and even specifies that the mummy was buried in an anthropoid coffin the very type of coffin which originated in the 12th dynasty. However, we also see terrible museum practices, with the mummy not only not being in a case, but being located in a very brightly lit room which would have sped up the deterioration. And although the inscription in the film does use real hieroglyphs, the translation they present is completely incorrect. Okay, we have now arrived at the review section. So here I shall simply go over the film, saying what I liked and disliked about it, and then rating the film out of 10. Okay, here we go. First things first, there was a surprising number of callbacks to earlier horror films here that I really thought were quite a nice touch and something I was not expecting from a film like this. For instance, at one point we see Marshall's mum and her new boyfriend, Ted, watching one of the Lon Chaney mummy movies. In another instance, we see Nosferatu, the original vampire film playing in the costume shop. Further, 
Amy talks about how she prefers Christopher Lee's rendition of Dracula to Bela Lugosi. Personally, I like both versions. Christopher Lee was certainly a more accomplished actor, but there is something very charming about Bela Lugosi, and I think he has that kind of energy that makes you root for him. I guess it's all down to personal preference. I will admit I very much enjoyed the museum scene in this film. Not only was there some evidence of actual research into the history being done here, which, I'm not going to lie, was surprising, but I also have to give the film kudos for being the first film I have reviewed to understand the difference between a sarcophagus and a coffin. They also had a mock full-sized Egyptian coffin in the museum that people could take photos in. I'm not going to lie, that just sounds quite fun. I'd like to take that photo. I thought it was a nice little touch. When the mummy gets awoken, the film also takes a very Scooby-Doo-esque like approach to his early scenes, much like the original uh, Under Wraps film did back in 1997. For instance, if the mummy is walking, it is always doing so awkwardly, in an over-the-top way with its arms outstretched in front as it lollops from side to side. The whole performance is a more over-the-top version of the 1940s film, such as The Mummy's Hand, Tomb, Curse and Ghost. As such, there is a certain goofiness here which I have always had a bit of a soft spot for. In general, Phil Wright did a good job of making the role over-the-top, but in a funny way rather than being too overly annoying, or at least for the most part. There's also just one part where we find out that The Mummy snores and... I don't know why, but that just made me chuckle. Imagine walking past a 4,000-year-old coffin and just hearing snoring from within. I'm not sure if I'd be terrified or perplexed by this, to be honest. At one point, the villain, Cubert, is looking for the mummy, and I actually really like the way they disguised the mummy here. It was Halloween, so they bought it a trench coat and a hat. Suddenly, it is not the mummy anymore. It is the Invisible Man, appearing how the Invisible Man first appeared in the 1933 classic. Another nice callback to the history of horror films. Further, I felt the film did a good job of feeling familiar to the 1997 original, whilst doing enough to differentiate itself over simply, you know, like a little bit of a gloss of paint. For instance, in this one, Cubert, the villain, does not fake his own death in order to escape his tax woes and instead is present throughout the film, and is honestly a bit of a threat throughout the film as well. I actually felt this made him into a far more effective villain, so in this aspect, the film actually improved upon the original. Further, at one point for a school project, they decide to make a mummy film using Harold, the actual mummy, as one of the cast members. This was really inventive, and it also fed into the storyline with Marshall's issue with his mother's divorce and his dislike for her new boyfriend, Ted. Basically, Ted, the boyfriend, offers to give Marshall some costumes for his film, and Marshall turns this into a negative. Amy then points out that Ted is really nice and is clearly making his mum happy. Basically, as the film goes on, we see Marshall slowly becoming more accepting of Ted, and by the end, he realises that he's being selfish and that his mum's happiness is also important. This storyline was present in the original as well, and I felt that both films handled it equally well. I'll be honest, I don't really have any experience with such issues, but it does seem like an important one for films like this to focus on, as 
Well, there are plenty of children out there who are going through this and can probably place themselves in Marshall's shoes. It is for reasons such as this that films can be quite important, as I do believe they can teach children how to process emotions and how to see the bigger picture. Unfortunately, we now have to move on to the negative aspects of the film. For a start, although to begin with I did find the mummy funny, he quickly got quite annoying and it did not feel outside of a few scenes that the film had the same inventiveness with, you know, like the shenanigans and things like that that the mummy went through. In fairness, it is good that the film did not rehash the same jokes, but the jokes here also did not live up to the original. Further, for a lot of the time, the mummy just came across as incredibly dumb rather than simply having to cope with an unfamiliar world. For instance, at one point, they have the mummy get confused by a mirror. Not only was this very, you know, eye-rolly, it's also just plain weird. They had mirrors in ancient Egypt, and even if they didn't, he would have been aware of reflections. He would have known what he was looking at. I get that he is a mummy and that in many horror films the mummy is portrayed as a brainless servant, but in those earlier horror films, the mummy is also supposed to be a lumbering creature of evil that has lost its very self thousands of years ago. On the other hand, Harold here very much has a personality, and so the dumbness of his character doesn't really work. I don't mind such characters being silly, but portraying the character as stupid did not sit well with me. It is fair to say that I might be being a little bit overly sensitive here, but Egyptians were not stupid, and as such, this approach even made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. In general, although I enjoy goofy stuff, this film was a little bit too silly and childish even for me. Further, I will admit, by the time we got to the end of the film, I was getting a little bit bored. As well as being a little bit too silly, I feel this is also because the film seemed to have less soul than the original. Though it is worth noting that, although I do not have nostalgia for the 1997 original, as I never watched it as a child, I do have nostalgia for the type of film and the time period in general. I do not have this same nostalgia for a film made in 2021. Sort of an obvious point, I suppose, considering that it was only made a couple of years ago. But it does mean that I may be viewing the original through rose-tinted spectacles, where, for obvious reasons, I'm not able to do that with this newer one. In terms of the reviews for this film, they were pretty mediocre. It does not have enough professional reviews on Rotten Tomatoes to garner an overall score. However, it has an audience score of 48%. And on IMDb, it has a 4.8 out of 10. So, at least the reviews are incredibly consistent. Generally, the reviews fall into two camps. People who absolutely hated this film and saw it as a hollow imitation of the original, and others who thought it was incredibly mediocre and too childish even for kids to enjoy. There were also complaints that the gags sprinkled throughout were a little bit too safe. For myself, I would probably give this a 4.5 out of 10. This may seem surprising as I gave the film a fair amount of praise, but ultimately, I agree that the film was far too childish for me. Ultimately though, I am not the target audience here. Shocking, I know, as I'm in my 30s. In fairness, overall there is some merit to this film, and I do feel that children would enjoy it. I don't necessarily hold that idea that it's too childish even for children. 
However, I also feel that this is a film that will irritate many parents over the years to come as their kids watch it again and again and again. I mean, let's face it. We all grew up with that one film. Thank you very much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, why not subscribe if you haven't already, share the episode on social media, and join me next week where I shall be joined once again by guest Oliver Reason, who in the past I've tortured with Plan 9 from Outer Space and the He-Man live-action movie from the 80s. This time, he gets to torture me instead by picking a film from his childhood, and at this stage, I do not know what that film will be. I hope you all have a really good week, and see you then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.